the Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 164 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are available on the oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for a future show for Alex, please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, it's that time of the week again. It's Thursday and you have plenty to talk about because you played poker last week or the start of this week. I can't remember which from your Facebook. So how have you been been and how did the Borgata go, etc.? I'm I'm doing good uh, because I'm sitting here talking to you. Poor God, it didn't go that well. <laughs> but I uh, <laughs> yeah, I did I something real. <laughs> you know what I'm mostly angry about is I booked my hotel for the entire week, which I always do. Yeah. Because there, there is nothing worse on earth than making day four of a tournament and then going, okay, now I need to go find a hotel in a sold out city. Yeah. And then getting five hours of sleep when everybody else got eight. But uh, it didn't occur to me. I live a bus ride within Atlantic City. I can leave anytime I want. <laughs> so I booked from Saturday to Saturday because in my mind, I'm always winning the damn thing, right? Yeah. And uh, so, so I get there on Saturday. I play on Sunday. At the, at, at the end of the night on Sunday, I buzzed. And then I just went, okay, I'm done with AC. Like, it, there's... AC is, uh, Atlantic City is fine, but just not really a place you want to hang out in. Or, I I can have fun pretty much anywhere, but I'd much rather be back in New York, uh, just working out, working on my projects, whatnot. So, anyway, I just took the Greyhound that night. By the the way, scariest uh, bus station I've ever been at in my life, and I've been in some pretty bad ones, right? Everybody... Everybody came up to me like I need twenty two fifty to get to my destination. I was like, you know, and I want to go. Like, what does that have to do with me? Like, I I need a I need a Lamborghini before I kick off this earth. You know, you gonna help me with that? <laughs> like, but uh, it, it, but yeah, and then like people were like really aggressive about it too. The uh, and uh, anyway. By the way, if you live in the New York area or you're moving here, let me give you a dead giveaway. My girlfriend taught me this, and it's 100%. If someone starts a conversation with, excuse me, sir, they want money. If they just go up to you and yell a question, that's a real New Yorker, right? But, yeah, so anytime I hear, excuse me, sir, unless, you know, if it's a destitute lady or something, or, like, if she's pregnant or something, like, I'm visibly pregnant, I'm like, yeah, okay, take a five, but, like, or... 
What do you do, Barry? Do you always do the, like, I'll buy you something to eat, but I'm not going to give you money? That's my usual m- move if um, I'm near. No, normally I just spit on them. <laughs> no, I'm I always take it a little too far, Barry. Uh, no, no, I am. I always judge it, you know, individually. Like you say, me and my fiance, we were on holiday Spain last year. We were at this little seaside, like beach uh, harbor town, really small fishing village along the road from where we were staying. We were sitting down. This African guy comes up to me and he's like, uh, "Excuse me, sir." Uh, and start showing me these bracelets and stuff, and like these are going to be free. And straight away in my head, I'm like, right, I'm going to just give this guy a couple of euros, and that's you know that's what he's after, sort of thing. And um, true enough, he gives them to my girlfriend, gives one to me, and then walks away and goes, oh, so would you be able to give me something towards you know getting some food and whatever for these free in inverted commas you know bracelets? And I was <laughs> like, I'd rather he just came up to me and said, you know could you spare two euros? And I'd go, yeah, you know, or no, or whatever. Uh, anyway, you know, that always, when they try and hustle like that, it kind of annoys me more because it's like, I'd rather just give money if I want to give money and not feel like I then have to because he's given me some, like, fucking probably voodoo cursed bracelet, you know? It's like, <laughs> so, I, yeah, like, in Scotland, you can tell there's some people who walk up to you, a common one is, yeah, Oh, excuse, excuse me, mate. Uh, do you have shot some money? Can I borrow some money? I've got to get my bus back, and it's always some like town that's miles away or whatever. It's like, do you have anything towards it? You know, like pound, two pounds, whatever. And they're just straight up junky hustlers, and I, I give zero money to these people. Right, right. Um, but people that are actually begging and standing in the street in the freezing cold, and you can see that they actually have nothing. And they're just down on their luck or whatever. Yeah, I'll I'll give them some money and ha- try help them out and whatever. But when these these approaching ones that are quite you know it's a hustle and they try and do it in a way that yeah excuse me so I'm I couldn't trouble you for this and I'm like no no you're a hustler because it could develop into something else. I always think if you give then before you know it you're you're exposed and you're then on the back foot because you're giving them money. And whether you've emptied your pocket or your wallet or, you know, something, somebody could be coming from behind. I just, I shut those people down pretty fast. You know, you know what I used to do before I got to New York is I always kept $3 in my right pocket. And if anybody asked it for me, I would just hand $1 and walk off. Mm. And then, uh, because the Bible does say, like, give to those who would take from you. And... That I, I always thought that was pretty clear. But when I got to New York, I got really worried because the, it, I know what a junkie looks like. And a lot of these people are straight up junkies. So I started changing the line to like, because in New York, you're never more than 10 feet away from a convenience store. I just always go, I'll get you something to eat. Do you want something to eat? And I barely like nine times out of 10, they're like, no, yeah. I want a dollar. And I'm like, well, okay, I can't. I, I did just offer you something, and you wouldn't take it from me. So yeah. it's, uh, it, 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 although I've actually had some pretty good conversations with uh, people, <laughs> the, the homeless. Uh, but uh, one lady I got a sandwich for. Uh, there was uh, there was a guy in AC. He just he was actually buying something. He was just a little short, and he was going to have to tell the guys like, "Hey, take that off the burner," mm-hmm. and. I was, you know, and clearly didn't want anything, so I helped him out with it. And then, yeah, 
he was telling me about how he respected this one white boy who got in his face. But, you know, if he laid hands on him, it was going to happen. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, he proceeded to tell me that story six times in a row. But, yeah, yeah he was he was interesting. But, yeah, okay. Anyway, back to poker. Well, I helped, uh, uh, I helped out uh, Carlos. I bought him a drink in the Four Queens. So that was helping the homeless out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't help homeless? <laughs> I mean, homeless get Carlos. <laughs> but Carlos... Carlos is the world's best at that. Like, he's just such a nice guy. You end up like, oh, let me get you a drink, good sir. And it's like, it, this guy could be a millionaire for all I know, and he's just really good with money. But yeah, any anyway, uh, uh, let's see. No, but you're you're so right. I always it, I always ended up well. The thing Carlos would always do at our house is he'd like go do a grocery run. So. You know, obviously, if there's a guy running the errands, he should get a little something. This is the worst podcast we've ever done now. We've talked well, about the it, whole It was thing. fine until you're starting on something else now. Let's go about the Borgata. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. We talked about, Carlos inspired me to talk about the homeless since he used to call himself the homeless poker player. But, yeah, anyway. Um, no, uh, Atlantic City, um, it was a very interesting city. I walked through it. It looks like a bomb went off. It was just it was just weird. Like there was all these burned out churches and abandoned houses. It looks like if you've ever seen a movie that takes place in Detroit, Barry, like it looks a lot like that. It was actually really sad after growing up watching Boardwalk Empire and all that. Uh, the boardwalk. I walked the boardwalk, and I was the only person on the boardwalk when I walked it. Uh, all the all the casinos were boarded up and closed. The Borgata was just, was a very beautiful property. It looks a lot like a Bellagio or something like that. Uh, the poker action I loved. Uh, I, there was no one else in that tournament as prepared as I was. There, there just wasn't. Uh, there, it, there could be a few, as far as I know, there could be a few cash game guys or guys that like really work on their game, but I'm, I'm guessing no. Uh, based on, I would just do some of the plays that I've talked about publicly, or I've talked about here, and people would go, what in the world are you doing? And then they would just react the exact way I've anticipated. Mm -hmm. And, the you know, the way things go is, uh, if you guys, let me get a little bit of my coffee before I teach you the secret to, be, to live poker, because if you've made it this far, you deserve it. Sorry about that, guys, but, uh, ah, great coffee. Now, in live poker these days, if you see a guy opening garbage and he's just calling you out of position, I used to look for that guy at the table because I'd think he was the live one, right? But it was hard to find a guy back in the day who would open more than 15% of hands from under the gun or something like that. And uh, especially with the American pros, if you three-bet them a couple times, they'd start four-betting you to see what you do about it, right? That doesn't exist anymore. First off, nobody cares what they open, like at all, mm -hmm. right? And uh, we're, we're, I, I did not have to wait that long to see people. They, I, it's gotten to the point I just assume they open too wide and I three bet everyone. I'm never disappointed, right? And I saw a guy open, you know, the forty year old guy at the table, the guy who's supposed to be a net. He opens king nine suited under the gun. I do not like that open. Uh, calls a three bet from under the gun plus two from May. Terrific. Uh, out of position. Uh, a three X raise, right? And then, uh, uh, by the way, you can play 
cards any way you want. I'm just I'm letting you know on nine databases out of ten I've looked at that play on. You're losing a hundred big blinds per hundred. You're losing a hundred and fifty big blinds per hundred. And that money has to go to someone. It's not going to the cocktail waitress and it's not going to the Borgata. It's going to me. And I I had all these guys. I had one guy open five four suited under the gun who was in his forties, which I mean stuff you would never see five years ago, right? And uh, one guy, he was probably the tightest player at the table. He just goes ahead and opens king ten off from under the gun. And uh, none of them fold when I three bet. That'd be fine with me, but it's cool if you call too. So I just kept three betting, and to me, that's like uh, just money in my pocket every time I do that, right? Like, oh, there's a big blind. Oh, there was a couple big blinds. Because I, I work the, the thing with live poker is you're working with generalities, right? And uh, the generality of the matter is most guys lose when they do that. Just raise a crap hand and call it out of position, right? There, there's like one out of ten who can make it work, right? Uh, another thing is people don't three bet that much. The average person three bets way less than they should. And I was playing with a bunch of uh, older guys. Most were pretty cool. I like I like that there was one guy who got really mad at me for asking for change, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. The guy was just in a bad mood perpetually, right? And uh, which, by the way, you're gonna get in it. You're gonna get in the East Coast. Like that's not a personal thing. I just I. I I don't know. It's part of growing up in Brooklyn or something. And uh, most everybody was pretty cool, and uh, they played the kind of poker I like, which is a little loosey-goosey, a little bit more for fun. I know how to take advantage of that. And uh, didn't really come to a situation I felt bad about anything. I just, you know, I had my aces run down. Uh, guy made a straight. Uh, uh, I had... Like in the first hand of the like one of the first hands of the tournament, I had kings and I made quads and I got three straights, which was neat. But like nothing else went right after that. And it, you know that's back when like the big blinds like a hundred chips and you have thirty thousand, right? Mm-hmm. So three three streets is like woo, give me that twelve hundred, right? And uh, or whatever. I actually got paid pretty well. It was nice. But it, after that, my aces got run down uh, by a straight. Uh, what else happened? There was a lot of me three-betting with, like, an ace-king or an ace-queen and then, like, a king-nine running me down or something like that. And, of course, you'd see it after the hands were tabled at the end and go, neat! Like, nice! <laughs> Look at you! Look at you! <laughs> Look what you did! Um, what was... Uh, I feel like there was a few other bad beat stories in there. Uh, my final hand, I lost Jack-10 to Jack-10. Like, the guy didn't do anything wrong. I, I didn't do anything wrong. And just, you know, them's the breaks. He hit a flush. Uh, but you know, it, it was uh, it, it, it was a fun day because I just love playing cards. I, I just, I love the experience of playing cards. I just, if I'm disappointed about anything, it's just not giving my investors a sweat and not getting to keep playing like I'm, I'm at the point everybody says this but I really mean it I don't care about the money anymore I really uh I want the hardware not for the hardware not so when people walk into my apartment and go hey check this out you know I, I don't want to be that guy right uh I want the experience I, I just want to experience going deep in a tournament like that really is more important to me, and yeah, money I want, but I I don't 
I'm a very simple person. I just, all I do with my days is read books and drink coffee. And I, I like my job quite a bit. Um, I have no problem living in Newark. Uh, I, I'm fine with this. But I would like to experience life with having more money and being able to use it as a tool and having the know-how and the wherewithal that I have now that I'm 30, as opposed to, uh, as you and I know, Barry, when you get that money a little young, not, not always the greatest at knowing how to use it, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like your dad gifting you a machine gun when you're six. Like, you're probably not going to know what to do with it. <laughs> and it might be a little collateral damage. But, yeah, you, uh, playing poker was fun. I, I loved – I just love – I'm really grateful for this. I really love playing cards. I just really love playing cards now. I uh, Winning is almost a bonus because I'm also at the point where I've just done so much study that I can see how each hand is going to unfold before it does. And when that consistently happens, and I, I, I keep getting this like, ooh, I studied for this situation. you got to do this because he has this, this percentage of the time. Yay, it worked. That. That's a really good feeling, especially when this game used to confound me. I, I remember trying to figure out this game when I was in high school, and like the kids on the basketball team would just kick my ass and take all my money. And uh, I remember trying to figure this game out on the EPT tour, and people thought I was better than I was because I could write articles that were decent, and then people were just kicking my ass. And uh, I, I remember living with really good pros in Malta, like, guys that were just making stupid amounts of money at Heads Up No Limit, right? German professionals, geniuses. And just watching them play and not understanding a damn thing, right? And going from that to, I know where this hand's going to go. It's like it, it's like a basketball player that knows where the play's going to break, right? Like, oh, the play's going to come over here. And, okay, so I should position myself there. Ah, blocked his shot. Sweet! Right? And that, that's that's... That's a good feeling. It's uh, I don't want to say it's mastery because I, the great thing about this game is it takes your whole life to master, right? But it, it sure feels a whole lot like, wow, look look how far I've come. This is yeah. this yeah. is this is a great feeling. I've worked very hard for this. This I uh, there's going to be another tournament in Atlantic City in March. Uh, it's a WSP circuit. That's the other thing I'm thinking. Uh, it's a sixteen fifty. I'm I'm thinking I'm fine with bringing the buy-ins down, right? I'm fine with lower buy-ins, uh, just grinding it out, right? Because I I really just want to play cards. And I'll, the cool thing about a lot of those smaller tournaments is the tournament takes place on a weekend and you're done. That's it, right? Which is really convenient for me. So I think I'm going to be back in Atlantic City in March to play their WSOP circuit. And go back to the really weird Blade Runner esque uh, dystopian future of Atlantic City. That was the other thing about it that was amazing, Barry. It was there was this dull fog over everything, and it looked like China 2053, with the uh, the lights in the distance like piercing through the fog. Right? It was uh, it was a weird experience, but yeah, no, I I, I like the Atlantic City. I really like the action. Uh, I like the players. I really like my game. I, I didn't have any... I I can't think of a hand where I went, ooh, you flubbed that, buddy. Mm -hmm. It was... Uh, 
for better or worse, most of my ands were pretty simple. Like, if you've worked really hard on flop turns and rivers, you would have known what to do. If you've worked a lot on what hands to three bet versus what ranges, you would know what to do. You'd have a lot of data to back up. They just didn't work out. And that I'm very used to that. It's a, it's a little bit of a different... Not not saying I run that. I'm just that's part of the job, right? There's days you show up and you light it up, and there's days you show up and just nothing goes right. There's nothing you can do about either. Uh, the days you light it up, by the way, that's not you. That's just hey, look at you, hidden cards, right? That's in uh, the days it doesn't go well. That's not that's not your fault either. And the, the only different part of the experience now is now there's other people involved, which is really different for me my investors i always try to keep the investments like small enough it could be recreational gambling right and then i fight really hard to give them a sweat right i want to give them a sweat really bad uh, but the other thing is my, my friends now in new new york they they're, they're really sweet and they follow me but they they think i can just like win any tournament i walk into right like i i bust the first day and they're like what happened and i'm like life uh poker <laughs> it's uh so that's that's always kind of strange having to explain it to normal people. the The best way I've found to explain it is: imagine there was a competition where people tried to hit full court shots. It, even if Kobe Bryant was in that competition, he was the best in the world. He's still going to miss nine out of ten of them, and th that seems to kind of get the the point across. But yeah, it's it's still difficult. Okay. Um, I'm um, gonna I, say, I can hear myself back, Alex. Okay, I'll mute it. One second. Go ahead. Every bloody week, honestly. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I was going to say, when you talk about mastery and stuff, and you, you know, I definitely get that, understand that, appreciate that for guys like you that are putting in all this work and stuff. But on the flip side as well, um, I played a live tournament, not last weekend, the weekend before. Or was it last week? I can't even remember now. And cashed in at uh, 20th, you know, was doing really well. And honestly, some of the play I watched and some of the play you've just described in a $3,000 buy-in as well. I We've said it before, just paying attention, not being on your phone and social media. Paying attention to every hand, whether you're in it or not. Paying attention to your position and their position, what they're doing. And as you say, even just seeing what they're showing down and what they've opened with. I think doing that gives you an edge in the current field in live tournaments. Seriously, like oh, if, yeah. if you never even looked at uh, range, if you you know if you weren't opening junk as well, if you sorted out your opening and calling ranges and just from where you were opening in three bet, and I I seriously think that's enough. That is enough for an edge still in the current tournament yep, field yep. live tournaments. That alone, I think, you know. I uh, it, it's really funny you say that because I last night. I was working all night. I uh, I it it's fun. It's funny, Barry. It, not to wax too f philosophical, but I got a little depressed and anxious last night, as I'm prone to do, and I think a lot of people are. Right? I I, I don't think anybody doesn't struggle with that. But uh, I went to this basketball game, Seton Hall, excellent game, and usually after I schedule going to sports. Because just as somebody who likes to crack games, watching games is very soothing to me. And just watching the way the plays break and the, the coaches coach is very soothing to me. 
I didn't feel good at all after this game. It was really weird. And it was a home team win. And I came home and then it occurred to me, you, you're old enough, you can do something with this, right? So I went hard and I practically finished my newest product, which is going to be called Master Tournament Poker in One Class. And what you're describing is all it takes is that to have an edge. Yes, that's what I prove in this video is like not only is it an edge, it's a considerable edge, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we filter out for a guy three betting. I took like a very average player and I said, okay, why don't you start three betting versus what, what I talk a lot about is targeting. I'm really big on targeting the right guys, right? I show off in... I show off in this video series, which I've never shown off before, and you only get glimpses of it, I'm not going to say, but my databases, what databases say about what different player fields do, and just my analysis of the field. And uh, the, the other thing that I discuss quite a bit is what you should be three-betting where and what versus what players, and... I showed them, like, this is the worst I ever played in my career, and I, I pulled up, like, a three-betting chart, right? Or I don't, I, I don't think I prefaced it with this is the worst I ever played in my career, but I thought it'd be really fun to find a sample of when I wasn't making money at No Limit Hold'em, and uh, the competition was really good, and I wasn't playing that well, right? And then I, I filtered, I found out what most poker players are doing when they go broke, and what happens, I, I, I really, like, just talking about it, I'm getting really excited, and I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to say on this podcast and what I'm not supposed to, because it's a joint, it's a joint webinar with advanced poker training. Sorry, I, I, I got stuck there for a second. But uh, one of the things that's really interesting is I proved I was making money with pretty much any hand when I three-bet the right people, like any hand. Uh, obviously, if it was like nine two, I wasn't. But like king ten, king nine, nine eight off. Like oh yeah, and it was all just what you were saying. Like people opening too much and calling out of position because it. We don't recognize. We want to think poker is this really complex thing because then that justifies how bad we are at it, right? Mm. And let's be let's be honest. Most of us don't feel that good at poker. I don't feel that good at poker. You guys listen to me every week. We're on hour 164 of you guys listening to me talk about poker, and we've somehow kept an audience and a sponsor. I don't feel like I'm good at poker. Barry doesn't feel like he's good at poker. Nobody who plays tournament poker feels like they're good at poker because the goal is to win, and you never win, ever, right? So we want to make sure, oh, this is a really complex thing. The reason I'm not getting this is it's a really complex thing, and it's like, yes, it's very complex, but... The thing I say in Master Tournament Poker in one class is this is the game that will get you from 0% to 99%, and you will literally be able to beat 99% of tournaments around the world. And we discuss the opposition quite a bit, right, and what the opposition does, and that was in itself very fascinating. But uh, to be honest with you, I play this strategy that I'm releasing a lot of the time when... I just don't have any other information because based on my field statistics, these plays are the plays that are right most of the time. And nine times out of ten when I follow these guidelines, I later on when I see a guy's hand, I go, oh, thank God. Right? <laughs> thank God I did that, right? And uh, the 
the thing that's interesting, though, is what I've come to in my research, Barry, is to get from 0% to 99%, I can literally teach you how to do it in three to five hours, and it's going to take you using my charts and reviewing, studying, you know, it's just like a Spanish class. If you go to a Spanish class for five hours, you're going to have to do 10 hours of study at home. It's just like that, right? Uh, but like in 15 hours, I can get you to the 99th percentile. That's my word. I truly believe that. Now getting from the 99th percentile to like, let's say me in the 99.5th percentile, right? That might take you 15 years. That might take you <laughs> your whole damn life, right? Mm-hmm. And then the funny thing is to get from where I'm at, which is okay, using soccer analogies, uh, 99, like, again, I'm like a, a good MLS player. Like, you can put me on any, any MLS squad. I'll be a starter, but I'm not starting any Premier League, uh, La Liga, uh, what the hell do they call it in Spain and Italy? Whatever. La anyway, Holly. Yeah, it is La Liga. Okay, it's it's called it's called that in Costa Rica too. So I thought there's no way that was right. But yeah, anyway, uh, it, like to get to 99.5 percentile, it takes like 15 years. But to get to 99.9, like Premier League high rollers, Fedor Holes, John Van Fleet, it's it's a lifetime commitment. It is a lifetime commitment, right? There's no part of me that doesn't believe all those German kids don't study four hours a day. There's no, if you follow poker like I do and watch poker like I do, there's no part of you that doesn't go, like, these guys do nothing but work. There's no, I I really believe the Germans just work harder than everyone, and they should be really proud of themselves. Uh, They're just fascinating. Uh, The Dutch, too. The Russians, too. And uh, just as a fan of poker, I'm really excited to see what that part of the world comes up with. But uh, that's the... And by the way, how much money do you think you get for being in the 99.5th percentile? Like, it's not that much. But, like, the 99.9th percentile makes, like, 80% of the money in No Limit Hold'em. I worked for a poker site for a year. That was what the report said, right? Now... If you want to be plus EV in any tournament and you are working a normal job and you do not have a lifetime to commit to poker, I can teach you how to do that. But to get to that top 0.1 percentile, that's the art. That's really, ooh, that is tough, right? And we do talk about that in my other webinars. Like, okay, here's one angle on this and here's one angle on that. And that's really fun. But, yeah, going back to what you're saying, if you just pick up those three bets, you look at what people are opening, you'll make a ton of money. And you just, there's a lot of guys that all they do, like these, the reason a lot of these like 23-year-olds win is because when somebody opens ahead of them, they take it personally, they three bet, and then they see bet, and then they're all secretly chicken, so they check the turn, right? And uh, that's actually, analytically, that's genius. Because every time they three bet, they're making like a big blind or two versus guys that open too much and call all the time. And then on the flop, they see that their see that needs to work 33% of the time. The field folds 45% of the time north of that. And every field uh, analysis I've ever done, they fold that much. So their three bet is profitable. Their see bet is profitable. And then on the turn, the field, because they overfold on the flop, they overcall on the turn. You should give up on the turn most of the time. And these, like, 22-year-old kids that I've been making fun of 
like forever. Like they actually have it right. And if you want to look at, I looked at a lot of databases and one of the most fun things I did for this webinar, Barry, was I looked at when poker players were doing well and then when they fell off, right? I really looked for guys that fell off because if you could quantify what they changed between those two periods, you could find the secret to no limit hold'em tournaments, right? And Barry, I kid you not, it's exactly what you just said, paying attention and three-betting. When they were young, they were hungry, they had something to prove, somebody opened in front of them, they, they didn't care what anybody thought of them, they were three-betting, they had something to prove. Then they started making money. Then they, then they got a little older, they got married, they mellowed out, they had no problems with anyone, right? They stopped, they stopped three-betting. It's like, oh, if he wants to open, he can go ahead. No, 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 no. If you could have pre-flop raised there, that was a couple big blinds in your pocket. That asshole just took that from you. Three-bet him. Even if it doesn't work. And three-bet folding, by the way, is actually pretty catastrophic. Uh, just discussing the, the money ball of it, like how many big blinds you lose. But it's... it's uh, it, it happens so seldom. You shouldn't really worry about it in this day and age. And so, something else, Barry, I want to talk about you here. I'm going I'm to give you guys a little glimpse into something I found out with the databases, okay? And I think you'll find this really interesting, Barry. Because something I found out, well, let's talk, let's talk about this, Barry. So what percentage of people do you think make money when they play poker on any poker site, any poker room? Um, um, like, like overall, overall throughout a year, throughout a year what, what are you measuring that against? Yeah, uh, like overall throughout a year. It's got to be less than 5%. You, you nailed it on that, 5%. It's just like the Forex market, as uh, one of my friends taught me. Uh, 95% of uh, investors lose money. Now, think about Now, here's some questions I started asking myself making this class. And this was so fun. This is why I love my job. You get commissioned to do stuff like this, right? So I'm trying to understand the field. I'm, I'm pretending I'm, you know, the offensive coordinator. I'm going to coordinate all you guys, like going into the Super Bowl, whatever you're going to play. And I'm studying the other team's defense. And I'm, like, writing down in my notebook. And it's a, such a simple question, Barry, but if 19 out of 20 of them lose money playing poker, why do they play? Why do you think they play? Well, it's pr I can hear myself back, Alex. If oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think it's a combination of entertainment, like we said before, but also people are delusional when it comes to poker and card games. They overestimate their ability, so they still think they can win. And also, previous experiences of them winning tournaments or in cash games in a small sample size or like one-off night where they won their local tournament for a few thousand or whatever... They're living off that and that rush and they want that feeling again and they're convinced that... And poker is like that. Anyone can win on any given day. So they all, like you say, nobody enters a tournament thinking they're not going to win it or they don't have a chance of winning it. See, now that's what I thought. And I do think that's a very healthy... Uh, I, I do think that's a very, very healthy portion of it. But that being said, well, think about it. I, I think human belonging is a big deal. Uh, I was reading uh, this book. Oh, hell, it's not. I've returned it to the library. But uh, 
I think it got mentioned also in that book, Everybody Lies, where they were using Google Analytics to describe human behavior, which is one of my favorite books of the last five years. Go ahead and get that, right? But uh, if you want to find out how racist people actually are in the United States, how much women actually care about penis size and how many men are actually gay, the Google Analytics are really fascinating in this. Uh, but yeah. It, they were talking about, they had a guy come up there, and this guy's made, like, billions of dollars as an investor. And the guy said, if I got this right, if I know the investor who said this, he said, if you want to understand any financial market, you have to understand human incentives more than anything. And I started, so I kept putting theories, and then I'd see if it showed up in the data, right? So I figured, okay, let's say people are working off of past success. And they think they're going to win a tournament. Well, that didn't really help me predict behavior because I thought then you would do a few things to try to win the tournament, right? But then I thought, I'm looking at this from the wrong angle because you, Barry, you want to make money. You like making money. I like making money. Everybody who listens to the show, I would, I would think, is not listening to this for entertainment. Our production value is garbage. We're both really annoying people. They're here for the poker. <laughs> they're here for the poker strategy, right? Um, they're, they're here to make money, right? Now, uh, none of us understand what these people are doing. So I went in with the theory, I want to belong. I'm secretly a little lonely, as the, as the quote goes from somebody, I'm not going to remember the name of, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Their glory days are behind them. They just want a little taste of that again, right? And more than that, I want to belong. I want to go to the card room and feel like a poker player. I want to just forget all the stress of work. I just want to play some cards, and I want, I want, I want the approval of my peers, Right. I went in with that, Barry, and then I started working through each play if I was looking from through, through those lenses. And if I've said this before, this is so good, I'm going to say it again. I can't remember if we brought this up on the show. OK, think about if you want to belong in poker. Right. Think about a bluff raise or a bluff bet. Let's look at your incentives. You want to belong. If you bluff bet and you're right, nobody sees it. You can show, but you're kind of a dork if you do that. I, I think that's if somebody shows a bluff in your card room, Barry, are they considered like a cool guy or kind of a douche? Uh, it depends on the guy and how they show it. I think. <laughs> yeah, some of you guys got style, but a lot of times it's frowned upon, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's kind of like that in the states too. Like there's a classy way to show it, and it's fun once in a while, but a lot of times it's it just comes off as arrogant, right? And uh, so if you raise or bet as a bluff and it, it, doesn't, it, it does work, you win a very small pot and nobody sees it. But what if you're called? This is a free roll to nothingness in their world. This is bad because every time you bluff and you get called and you're wrong... Everybody just kind of looks at you like, oh, look at you trying. Like, oh, <laughs> what were you doing? I, I, I've gotten so many weird looks all around the world for my bluffs and so many side comments and people making fun of me when I leave the table. I, I know that 
people really will make fun of you for bluffing, right? And it's a great way to look like a clown uh, because most people will, they're a little uh, tribal, and if they see someone playing a style they don't approve of, they're going to criticize you. Now let's look at folding. Well, folding, there's no way for you to win folding. So don't fold. I, I still tell people, everybody to this day, they're like, how did you become a professional poker player? And I say, I played eights, nines, tens, jacks, queens, kings, aces, ace, queen, ace, king, and that was it. Everybody saw a young guy who was playing midi and they wanted to punish me, and I picked up chips. All I knew how to do was fold. And that, that was because I was desperate. I needed the money, right? If you can learn to fold, you can make money at No Limit Hold'em. But 19 out of 20 of them are not making money. So they, don't, they clearly don't know how to fold. But now let's look at the call. Now the call becomes really fascinating because think about it. If you call and you're wrong, you muck your hand. Nobody can say anything to you. You can just go, yeah, I, you know, I tried. It didn't work out. Yeah, that's all right. But if you call and you're right, what happens? Uh, nice hand, nice hand. Thank you. <laughs> that's what they're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. They want to feel like they belong. Like you get to table your hand, you get the endorphin rush. And Barry, against database after database I looked at, like in France, in Portugal, in Brazil, in North America, in Germany, everybody does that. That's all they do. All they do is call. They never bluff. They never fold. So now we have to think about this. If the human species plays poker a certain way, well, there's some inferences we can take from this. First off, any play that is typical at a card room, statistically speaking, is likely to be a losing play. Because remember, 19 out of 20 of those guys are losing money. I'm going to repeat that. If there is a common play in the ecosystem, chances are it's a losing play. Now, that doesn't refer to, like, just pre-flop raising. Pre-flop raising, a lot of times, solid pre-flop raising, freezing out people from three-betting you, that can make you profits. Three-betting people and freezing them out from a four-bet, that can make you profits. A good C-bet, a well-applied C-bet on a board, a good, well-applied double-barrel, that can do you something. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot of plays that are just BS. Every time an ace comes on the turn, does anybody not check that card? like, oh, that's more in my range than his range, right? So they double barrel it. it have you heard this before, Barry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no evidence that's a winning play. There's no evidence. The field folds 28% of the time on the turn, right? You you're bet 33% of the time. Uh, you, you bet half the pot. It needs to work 33% of the time. By the way, a lot of the times, the most frequent hand he has, because there's 16 combos of every ace high he calls you with on the board, on the turn is an ace. You're just lighting money on fire. And by the way, everybody knows you're going to bet that ace on the turn, so they're not folding the 6 on the 6-4-3 ace board either, and they're probably not folding the 5-4, so what are they folding? And if you're not triple barreling, the hell are you doing? And yet... I see that play every day, all day, and it's one of those things everybody says. It's on every training video. There's no evidence for it. None. Find one training video that shows you a database. Show me one that shows a card runner's EV calc. You will not find it. Because humans just say things, and then they want to belong. And it's just, it's not true. None of it's true. 
Chances are, if you see a play that's normal in a card room, it is a losing play. I'll give you another one. Board comes king 10-5. It gets checked to you. You see that in position with king-queen. The guy check raises about 80% of the pot. You call. You just gave away your tournament. Tournament's over. The field is check raising like 10% of the time on that board. That, uh, you beat nothing. You beat a queen jack once in a while, right? Furthermore, what do you think is going to happen on the turn and river? If there's any time you're calling and you need turn and river to go check, check, you've got to ask yourself, how often is that really going to happen? And if the answer is like 10%, you're calling to give away money 90% of the time. Uh, so I, I'm the only guy on earth who can bet full top pair. I'm the one guy. And every time, sometimes I show it to get a table image, and people will be like, you're an idiot. You are the dumbest person I've ever seen in my life. And yet, if you go through every database, and if you want to find people pissing away money, there's where it is. Calling down with one pair versus a raise. They raise 10% of the time on a flop, 7% of the time on a turn, 4% of the time in the river. That means on the flop... They're check-raising like nut flush draws, two pair, a set, plus. On the turn, it's like sets, two pair, plus. And on the river, it's like a royal flush, plus. What are you beating? I'll give you another one. If you bet one-third pot on the river, does anyone ever fold to it? If they got Bear- like off. If they literally got like zero. Yeah, I think it's literally zero. When was the last time you saw one-third pot bet that was a block? When was the last time? That's called double think in 1984 and George Orwell's two, 1984. These two things cannot be correct. You cannot be able to call a one-third bot pot 100% of the time and it never be a bluff. No, those cannot coexist, and yet they do. So chances are, if it's common in a poker room, it is incorrect. That, that, that is the facts when you look at a database. And... We also have to think about what is the worst strategy to play against the field. Remember, they bluff too little, they call too much, and they fold too little. What's the worst strategy versus that? It would be pot controlling. How many people pot control, Barry? Because if you pot control, it's like, I believe you will bluff. The field's terrible at that. The field is horrendous. They don't want to bluff. How does a guy look when he bets the river and he's wrong? As a bluff, like, he doesn't like that. Don't give him the chance, seabed. And then when he calls, just go, like, yeah, I got lucky, mate. Right? That's second pair of top kicker. I thought, you know, whatever. Right? And the guy mocks, like, oh, I thought you were bluffing. Keep it convivial. Keep it fun. Right? All right, guys, I'll answer one of your questions now. Let's go. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what we'll call this episode is, Poker distilled, something like that. I think that's a good name for it. It's like, I like that. Yeah, you should have called your webinar that. You can have that for free. <laughs> okay. I, I think Master Tournament Poker in one class is going to sell more copies than you know Jack Daniels Poker. But yeah, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> okay, this one is. Let's see what we'll move. We'll just go for the first one I got in the list. That that's the fairest. This one is from Roger. Uh, Alex, I normally play live cash, one to three dollar, no limit hold'em. One times a week, uh, three to four hours per session. It keeps my wife from divorcing me. She has some things going on the next few weeks where I will be able to play two to three times a week for eight to 12 hours per session. Any tips on how to pace myself to put in the hours I want? Stamina, staying off tilt, focus, etc. 
please factor in I'm a 53-year-old recreational player just trying to come out ahead here in the northeast during all this lousy weather. Thanks a million for your great material. I'm having a lot of fun starting to implement it and watching things like 14x pre-flop raises just blow the locals' mind. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, God love you. Thank, thank you, sir. Um, one of the things, now, if I'm talking to one of my younger players who plays full-time, I always tell them, like, if you're asking me how to pace yourself, it's too late. You, you, that's, that's a full... That's a that's a full year thing if you're going to do this consistently, right? Uh, every time I have to wake up at the crack of dawn to go to the weight room, uh, I I hate it. But I, I tell myself, I literally tell myself, Barry, like, this is really going to count one day four or day five, right? This is really going to mean a lot one of these days. And uh, it certainly affects my job. I could never do the work that I'm doing now like the amount of work I'm doing now, if I, I, I wasn't lifting weights and jogging and doing stuff like that or having my girl hold the focus pads for me. But there, the thing I would say, now you're a recreational player, so let's talk about recreational players, what you guys should do. Eight hours of sleep is a big deal. Uh, I, I find I sleep typically like six or seven hours a night, and a lot of times I just go for five. And I, I really don't notice a difference. Uh, I'm fine. But before I play cards, I always sleep eight hours because I, I feel like it gets me a little bit more open to what's going on. Whereas six, six hours of sleep is perfect for work. I'm like, go, go, go. Let's go, right? But that, that's not perfect for poker. Uh, no, big fan of not eating a really heavy breakfast are really heavy meals before you play. We all know on our lunch break at work, we don't go get Mexican food. Unless we really don't care about our productivity at that job, right? When Barry was working at a Social Security in Scotland, I'm sure he did get Mexican food a lot. But for the rest of us, all right, what did you work at? Your one real job? Uh, it was in 2008, so 10 years ago, and it was a tax advisor. Wow. Um, <laughs> I was there for a year, but I was only working there for six months. The other six months, I was on the sick pay, long-term. Uh, nice, nice. Zero. All right. <laughs> so leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, get up. And, uh, all right. But, yeah, we all know, like, if we have something to get done, if we're about to go take a test, like, we're not going to eat Mexican food. And it's the same thing with poker. Uh for breakfast, I had an Atlantic City steel-cut oats, fruit, and coffee. Coffee's a big deal. Coffee is a performance-enhancing drug that is not allowed in the Olympics. I highly recommend it. Uh, green tea is really good, too. Uh, one day I'm going to switch over, although I'm just too white for that right now. But uh, what you eat, the amount of sleep you get is really good. The other thing, I, th I, I see a lot of guys, like, they show up and they're super excited to play. And then they're like, I'm, I'm going to tackle everything, right? And they're, like, watching every hand and checking out every showdown. And then two and a half hours late, like, if you do not do that all time, and I really do believe there's a physical component in poker now. Like, I could not keep my focus for eight, ten hours a day before I started lifting weights again. Uh, you're just going to wear yourself out, Right. If you pay attention to nothing else, just look at what they're opening, right? 
you start seeing those like crap like suited gappers and like suited two gappers and uh, off suit broadways and stuff like that, just start three betting like mercilessly in position. That'll make the game more fun. Statistically speaking, you're making money most of the time. Uh, and yeah, uh, playing a game that you have enough buy-ins to be rolled in because this, as you as you've probably seen. Uh, this can get a little expensive. It can be good. A lot of money comes back to you, but it, it definitely you go all over the place with my strategy because it's counter. It goes counter to the game. So, you know, most of the time people just react the way we want, which is they fold. But once in a while you just piss everybody off and stacks are going flying. So good luck with that. And uh, I think if you just adhere to those things, pace yourself. Uh, don't be afraid to get up from the table and take a walk. Uh, if on day one you're tired at two and a half hours, don't make yourself play three. Just leave. I, I, I think that's a big deal. The other thing I used to do when I played, my longest live session was 49 hours, if I remember correctly. Uh, my longest, I used to play 16, 18 hour days. Uh, I used to play a full tournament session and then an eight hour cash game session. And honestly, I never told anyone this, but the way I did that is when I played cash, a lot of times I just dropped to, if I got super tired, I just dropped to eights, nines, tens, jacks, queens, kings, and aces. Ace, queen, ace, king. Now, obviously, I can't do that all day. Uh, but if you shift to that, it's really funny because if you've been playing this really aggressive game and you go to a super tight game, you, <laughs> you open and people three that you and it's like, okay, I have queens, let's go. And then you do that for 30 minutes, you wake up, and then you come back, right? Or I would I would play that range from early position, and then in later position, I'd obviously bring in the smaller pairs and, like, the premium suited connectors and stuff like that, especially when nobody could claim position on me. Uh, I, I was really vigilant to open more hands. But uh, it, I'm not really a big, like, down gear guy, but when you're playing cash, there's definitely a justification for that. It's, it's really intelligent in cash games, especially back when I was a 1-2 grinder, I had, like, different charts and different ways of playing. And I had one way of playing that was, like, super loose. And then I had a super nitty way of playing, right? And then what ended up happening on everybody's uh, HUD was I was just somewhere in the middle, which was a style I was never playing, right? So, like, all their data was wrong. And that was really fun. Uh, and you can do that a little, too, with live poker. The other thing is you can give up if you talk at the table, people think you're in more hands than you are. If you just and you can do that in cash games in tournaments, I don't talk much because I have a finite number of hands and I need to pay attention to every one of them. Cash games you have all day. Go ahead, talk it up. People, people will think you're playing all the time. Good luck to you. Okay, and uh, that's all we have time for. Alex, I can hear myself. Enjoy. Yeah, you got to sort that out. I don't know why that happens. No, all I don't. Time. No, I really don't, Barry. <laughs> I think, you know, I, uh, yeah. you know if I'm going to keep doing 90% of the work on this show, uh, you can sort it out. Yeah, I hold it together. If you were left on your own, this would be even worse. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's all the time we got. Alex is really running sort of tight on time. He does have a couple of lessons straight after this. So we're just going to wrap up here for this week. And this one was kind of... There's lots of content there, although Alex only answered one of the listener questions. I think you really gave off a lot of information there that uh, once you listen to it and process it, can help you with your game, especially in tournaments. Um, 
it sounds, you know, some of the simple stuff that Alex has talked about, and even myself, I, I've suggested is, I've applied it to my game over the last six months, I'd say, and I really notice a, a difference and a lot, a, yeah, a bit of a calmness about my play that I didn't used to have as well. That's the best way I could describe it. Um, so, yeah, definitely important stuff. Um, Alex, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you and when your webinar that you've sort of promoted here, this was sort of like an episode promo for that webinar. So how can people order that, get on your mailing list, etc.? Uh, Master Tournament Poker in One Class is going to be released on the 9th. If you want to get a notification when that comes out, you can sign up for my newsletter uh, at PokerHeadRush.com. There's a little sign-up link to the top right. Uh, also, be sure, before that comes out, just to satiate yourself, uh, there's free videos on my YouTube channel. I actually released a new episode of Live Poker 101. It's a 30-minute episode just going over a couple hands and angles I had from uh, a couple hand decisions and angles I had from uh, WPT Borgata. Uh, if, you, if you're into that, I think you'd like that. I'll have Barry put it in the liner notes. And uh, yeah, Live Poker 101 is on sale this week uh, for 87.5% off because it's normally $800 and I'm, uh, I just put it on 99 to see what would happen. And, yeah, uh, you can get a little bit of a preview of that in the video. And there's tons of free content on the YouTube channel if you guys are broke. So, and, uh, yeah, I was thinking about, yeah, I, th I think that's, uh, you know, follow, uh, my training videos come out on Tournament Poker Edge. Uh, a lot of training videos come out there. Uh, check out my weekly uh column on America's Card Room's blog and follow me on Twitter at The Assassinato. Oh, and you can write me at alexatpokerheadrush.com if you want to contact me about lessons or any of that. Or not lessons, but whatever is on your mind. Okay. Okay, Alex, thanks for joining us again this week. Uh, next week, I hope you spend the next seven days sorting out whatever's causing my voice to be played back in um, my ear. That should be your priority for the next seven days. <laughs> <laughs> Drop everything and get that sorted. Uh, no, joking aside, thanks for joining us. Uh, we will see you next week. Keep your questions coming in for Alex. Questions at oneouter.com. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com. Join the Facebook group, etc. Keep your questions coming in and we will get them answered next week. Thanks for listening and cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 dollars a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.